for thousands of years uh, that's around this Easter time. And the tradition has been is that when someone would say, Jesus Christ is risen, the other person would say, he is risen indeed. Um, and so that's been a tradition. But over the years here at this church, we've created a little bit different tradition out of this. And our tradition is, he is risen indeed, is just a wee bit too mild for what Jesus did when he came out of the grave. Now, let me tell you why we're doing what we're going to do, okay? The death and uh, resurrection of Jesus means that your sin, my sin, is forgiven. That your death, my death, has been taken care of. And that you can have hope, that you have a purpose, that you have a meaning, that you have a message, that you have a destiny, that love has conquered evil. Not just that, it means that creation itself is going to be redeemed. It means that suffering has been repealed, that every loss is going to be restored by God himself, and he will wipe every tear from every sorrowing eye, and he will take all sickness and sadness and grieving and mourning and weeping and make it no more. That's what the empty tomb means. And if that means something to you, I would like you to express yourself with, the, with whatever is inside of you this morning that you have just witnessed the greatest event ever to hit planet Earth. And so I want you to pack thoughtfulness and emotion in it. And, and what I'm really saying is, you know how you come out of your seat on a uh, game-winning touchdown for your team? You know when the, the, the shot's been let loose and it, it's a three at the buzzer and you come out of your chair screaming like crazy? That's what I'm talking about. So in just a second, I'm going to say, Jesus Christ is risen, and then you respond how you think you should respond, okay? All right, here we go. Jesus Christ is risen. Yeah! Some of you are going like this. You're our guest with this, and you're like, wow. And I'm going to tell you, that wow would be an appropriate response to Jesus coming out of the grave. That's, that's the big thing. That's the gift that we've gotten from him. Now, I want you to imagine that around 2,000 years ago, this man, Jesus, he came and he started to, to teach things that nobody ever taught. He started to present God in a way that nobody ever understood. He started to show things that were hidden from people's eyes for centuries. Jesus came along and he started to, to live like nobody lived. He, he had a love that nobody had ever seen before. And so what you decided is you wanted to become his follower. And so you told your family and your friends that you were going to leave your, your home. You were going to leave your family. You're going to leave your job and you're going to follow this young Messiah guy because you know that this little thing that he's got going on, this little community that he's, he's got going is going to change the world and so you're going to be sold out for that and your family tells you you're crazy and you say, that's okay, I might be, but this guy's the real deal. And so you're going to follow him. And so, you know, it's, it's an, an amazing adventure for quite a while as you walk with this guy. Then one Sunday, you go into Jerusalem. And when you go into Jerusalem, 
All of a sudden, there are people that, that have the, these things going on, and they, they start to throw these things at Jesus' feet, and they're palm branches. And, and so it's, it's what we call Palm Sunday. And all these people are lined up along the way as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on this donkey, on this colt. He's riding his way in. And the thing that happens in the process with this is, is that these people, what they want to do with Jesus is they want to make him their king. And, the, and Jesus is like, you've got the wrong idea, the wrong kind of king that I'm going to be. You don't know the king that I am going to be. And so what Jesus says to their idea of being the king is he says, no, I'm not going to be that king. And so then he's in there in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and something happens really quite spectacular because in five days this crowd that was ushering him in as king, has now changed their minds and their hearts. And five days later, everything went south. And so what they did is they took this guy, Jesus, and they said, if you're not going to be our king, well, then what we're going to do is we're going to kill you. And so we'll put you on a cross. And so they, they nailed him to this cross, and that's where he, and he was a criminal's death, um, executed by the, the Roman government. It was one of the most horrible deaths that could ever happen. And because of what happened on that hill, the hill called Golgotha, Jesus died up there on that hill. What we have done now is we have called that day, we call it Good Friday. And so Jesus went from being ushered in as king on Sunday to being nailed to a cross on Friday and so it went from Palm Sunday to Good Friday in just five days, and he was dead on the cross. And, and, and the problem with that is, is that all of a sudden, this guy that you have been following, the guy that you'd put all your hope into, all of your faith into, the guy that you wanted to, to give your life to, he died on the cross, and that meant failure. And you were in deep, deep despair. And so, here's what happens on Sunday, then Friday, then the following Sunday. What do you do? Because all the dreams, all the hope, everything that you had ever had in your mind that was going to be the greatest thing, the greatest adventure you could ever go on, is now dead, and it's, it's, it's in a tomb, and it's never going to happen. Matter of fact, all of the followers that were following Jesus at that time, they all took off and they were hiding because they were afraid for their own lives. And so what do you do? You do the only thing you know to do because it's also very confusing at this time. It's just like craziness. And so you, you go and you find yourself now going to this place where you know that they buried Jesus and it's the tomb. But when you get there, you find that what was supposed to, be hap was supposed to happen was this huge rock was supposed to be rolled in front of this tomb so that it would seal people from trying to steal his body to prove that he was resurrected. And the Roman guards that were there, they're no longer anywhere to be found. And what you find instead of a sealed tomb is you find that stone rolled off to the side, which couldn't have happened unless there were a lot of people that did it, but you're the first one there in the morning, and you're going like, wow, not only that, but when you come up here, there is a man standing here in bright, bright garment shining like lightning. And he's got a message for you. 
And his message for you is this. He says, why are you here at the place where the dead people hang out? Jesus isn't here. He's alive. He is risen. And you're like, wow! And then you go, I'm going to go back and I'm going to have to tell everybody that this is what's happened. And, that, and, and what we call this day here is, well, you know, what is it called? I didn't hear you. All right, that's better. It's Easter. Do you know what else they call it besides Easter? It's called Resurrection Sunday. That's right. And so this is what we've got going on. So we had Palm Sunday over here that took Jesus in, and everybody was like, woohoo! And then on Friday, it was like, <laughs> right? Nobody liked him. Nail that guy to the cross. Get rid of him. We don't like him. And Jesus is going like, you think this was your idea. This was all my idea. You couldn't do this if I didn't let you. And then he had a better plan in mind. Because what happened is Good Friday then moved us from Saturday to Sunday to where we have Resurrection Sunday. The most amazing event the history of the world has ever seen. And so, you know, what do you think the first words out of your mouth would be if you were the first one to hear that Jesus wasn't dead, but he was alive and raised to life? Yeah, wow. It's kind of like, oh yeah, wow. Are you kidding me? It'd be like, wow! This is amazing! So uh, what I want to do is I want to take you to the text that kind of gives us the picture, because we're going we're to start there, and um, if you were here for the early service, you heard Fred say this story is found in all four of the Gospels. I'm taking the one from Luke, and it's, here's what it says. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. As they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered unto the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles, but the words, these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. So what's happening is, is that you've got these women who've gone down to the tomb first thing on Sunday morning, and they hear this message that Jesus Christ, the guy you knew, the man you followed, the carpenter, this rabbi, he is raised from the dead. And then, and then you think for Easter, here's the word you're thinking when the angel tells you this is like, Wow, that's amazing. And so what you do is you run back to the, the disciples because you're going to tell them this great news. But this word, wow, I want to spend a little bit of time on this because this word, it, it really indicates that something has happened that is beyond our belief. Did you know that there isn't a definition for the word wow? The way you define wow is by saying wow. It's its own definition. And so that's what we have to work with because these people, this, this thing's going on and this reality has filled their world that Jesus, who they buried on Friday night, on Sunday morning, he's gone up 
and he's out of the tomb, and he's not dead. And so it became this really big wow thing. And wow is an expression of wonder and awe and being dumbstruck. And, and when we have those moments where we say, wow, especially this moment of the resurrection, and we say, wow, about it, it's, it's like we understand that our soul knows that there is something bigger than us, that there is someone bigger than us. And so we're going to talk about this this morning, about how this reality fills our life and that our universe has been built on wow. Now, there are wow moments that, that have filled our lives. Let me just give you a few of them over time. And so here's, here's one of them. The Wright brothers, these two guys built this machine and now people are flying all over the world. People, human beings are flying. A few decades after they built their flying machine, a guy by the name of Neil Armstrong ended up walking on the moon. Anybody here remember that? See that? Yeah, now you know how old you are. <laughs> and believe me, for an entire world, that was a wow moment. And then, you know, not too long ago, God demonstrated his love and his grace and his mercy by allowing the Chicago Cubs to win the World Series. <laughs> that was a wow moment. That was a wow moment. And, and, you know, we've had just some of those even a week ago. A week ago today, this wow moment took place. A guy by the name of Tiger Woods, a golfer. I don't know if you know him or not. He, he hasn't been much of anything for about the last 11 years. And he's had a really messed up life. And he's had really bad uh, back problems and knee problems. He's had multiple surgeries. And he goes to this little golf tournament down in Georgia called the Masters. You know what I'm talking about? It's the greatest comeback story in sporting history. This guy who was washed out, who's old, had all these surgeries and all this stuff, and he beats all these young punks that are way stronger than him and more fit, and he wins the Masters, and it's a wow moment in, his, in the sporting world one week ago. Also this last week, we had another wow moment. That wow moment was when the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris burned. And a lot of people were going like, wow. It wasn't the good wow. It was the other wow. But our life is filled with, with wow. And, and your life is filled with wow. What, you know some of those wow moments? Just in case you've never experienced it. You've all experienced it, but maybe not all of you know anything about it because you're too young. It's called birth. It's the greatest mystery that you will ever... It continues to be this great miracle that never ceases to amaze people, is that you're born. Birth of a human being is the most wow thing next to the resurrection. It's craziness. And then what happens is you get a little bit older and you get a, dri a driver's license, excuse me. You get a driver's license and all of a sudden you're going like, wow, I get to drive by myself. And everybody else in town is terrified. And then, not long after that, I met a girl, and she was a Canadian girl. 
And I proposed to her, and she said yes, and we got married, and I went, wow. <laughs> and then, get this, this is no, no lie. 36 years ago in, in July, I took her from Canada, where, where it's as flat as a pancake. Uh, Alder Mountains are inverted. If you don't get that, come and see me afterwards. I'll explain it to you, because they're on the prairies. And we did our honeymoon in Yellowstone and in Jackson Hole. And when we drove up and we saw the Grand Tetons and my wife saw them for the first time, do you know what her expression was? Let me hear it. Wow. That's exactly what she did. And it wasn't because of me. <laughs> I was going like, yeah, you're welcome, honey. And she's like, what are you talking about, fool? So, yeah, so we have these wow moments that, that enter into all of our lives. Our universe is built on these wow things. Birth and death are wow. I mean, when my dad died, it was kind of like, wow, he went to be with Jesus. Like, he's been wanting to do this for a long time, and he did it his own way. Driving in the car in the back seat, and he's going like, see you later, cats. I'm out of this planet. And he was gone to be with Jesus. It was wow. And then we have, all of us have this thing going on. So, what we're talking about this morning is the great wow. And I want to just take a few moments and just relay three truths to you about the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and here's the first one. The resurrection really happened. And so that's the first truth I want you to get is that the resurrection really happened. And, and there's a, a lot of people who like to say that this about the resurrection. People today, people back in the day when Jesus was resurrected after the church had started and the disciples started to do what Jesus told them to do, there's this theory floating around that what they were talking about, what the disciples were doing, is they were making up this story about the resurrection of Jesus because after all, it's impossible for anybody to come back to life. Once they've been dead, they're dead, they're not coming back to life. And so what they did is they started to call this like folklore or it was a, a, a myth, a mythological story that people were presenting about the resurrection of Jesus. But there's a problem with that idea and that thinking, and, and, and this is why this one is so important for us to get under our belts, because I want to just take a few moments and explain this, because um, from the New Testament writers, the resurrection did not mean that it was folklore or a mythology. It wasn't just some kind of fairy tale story that somebody was telling. And the way that we know this is that they're presenting something that actually happened. And, and there's this guy by the name of Richard Buckham. He's an Oxford scholar, and he, he's a, just a brilliant man. And he's written a fascinating book, and it's called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, the Gospels as Eyewitness Testimony. And what he's talking about is back in the ancient world when somebody was writing literature and there were a lot of people who were good um, literature writers. They wrote a lot of things, but there was a lot of mythical writing going on that people were reading. There was folklore that was being presented. And so anybody that wanted to present something that was of a serious nature, that was actually true, and they wanted to present it so that people would ab absolutely know that what they were doing was telling you the truth, they would use an eyewitness. And so when they use an eyewitness in their writing, what it's like, it's like anybody who has written any kind of a, a serious book on any kind of a serious matter, if they want it to be taken seriously, they have footnotes in it. 
And what the footnotes do is they say, I'm writing this and telling you about this, and here's what this guy said, and this is how he knows it, and if you don't believe me, you can go and study his work, or better yet, you can contact him and ask him about it. That's what a footnote does. And that's what the eyewitness account does in, in making this that it really happened, is the eyewitnesses really were the footnote to what was going on. So let me tell you how serious they were when they, when they took this upon themselves to write and craft this, this ancient historical event. It starts off, we get to see how serious it is in the Gospel of Luke. And by the way, let me just tell you, Luke was not an eyewitness himself to these events. I want you to understand this. Luke is not the guy that's an eyewitness to these events. But what he did is he wrote this off of the testimony of eyewitnesses. And he put a lot of work into what he did. His work is absolutely brilliant because it comes from two different um, uh, avenues. First avenue is he's a Gentile. He's not a Jewish guy. He's not a, a guy that's going, I'm looking for the Messiah. He's the guy that was like, here's Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's the one that's come to save everybody from their sins and to give them hope for a future. And he's like, I need to know this guy. And so the second thing he did, that, an avenue that he comes from, is he's a medical doctor. He's a physician. And so he writes with a lot of detail and clarity as he goes through in his writings. And so here's how Luke starts his gospel account of Jesus off. He says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of these things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seems good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. That's how he starts his letter off to his friend Theophilus. He says, this is the truth and I'm going to give you some eyewitnesses account. Now he's not the only one that did that because the first gospel that was written was written by um, Mark. His gospel account of Jesus. And so as, as everything's playing out here and they want their writings to be taken seriously, they have eyewitnesses who are going to play major roles in what they're doing. And, and so what they're saying is, is that when you see this eyewitness, you can go and check this out by talking to them yourself. And so here's, here's Mark's uh, eyewitness account of this whole event of Jesus being crucified. And it comes from Mark chapter 15. And here's what he says. They compelled, compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. So here's, here's the eyewitness thing. But here's the thing we don't know, is that the name Simon in ancient Israel was a, a common name. It's kind of like Bob. Only longer. Two syllables, Simon. You know, and so what they wanted to do, what, what Mark's thing is, he's going, I want you to know who the eyewitness is in this event because he carried the cross and so his name's Simon. But it's not just, you, you know, you, you're going to have to find the right Simon, so I'm going to tell you who the right Simon is. He's the Simon from Cyrene. And they're going like, oh, but like, weren't there 50 of them from Cyrene? Yeah, there are. But let me tell you who his kids are. Alexander and Rufus. Now, Alexander and Rufus, you might go, who were they? Don't know. They were, they were Simon's kids. That's all we know about them. 
But the reason why Mark includes that in, in his gospel is he's saying, here's the truth about Jesus. This is where Jesus died. This is how Jesus died. This is the way they took him up to a place called Golgotha, which means Skull Mountain or Hill, and that's where they crucified him. And on the way, Jesus was so beaten and so bloodied and so worn out that he couldn't even carry his cross. So they grabbed this guy, Simon from Cyrene, father of, of Alexander and Rufus. Because what he's saying is, if you don't believe my account about this, Alexander and Rufus have joined this thing called the community of faith, who are now disciples of Jesus. You can go ask them. They were right there. Their dad did this deed. It's the punctuation on all that's taking place there. And, and so what, what Mark is really saying is these guys are alive, and if you don't believe me, just ask them, check it out, because this is the most incredible thing that's ever happened, and you can get your own account from these guys. And so they have this whole thing playing out. And so both, I mean, all four of these guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they have accounts of Jesus' life, including eyewitnesses who saw the empty tomb that Jesus is risen. And we kind of read that at the beginning, but we're going to come back to that. Because in each of these cases, the first eyewitnesses at the empty tomb, they're women. And that doesn't mean a lot, or, or, or we don't think a lot about that when we hear that it was the women who actually were at the tomb first to see and to hear and to know that Jesus was risen. But in ancient um, Rome, if you're going to prove that Jesus was the risen Savior, the last thing you would do is you would put into your, your document of historical facts that a woman was the one that saw it. She was the eyewitness, and you can talk to her because, now listen, ladies, don't get mad at me because we're not in ancient Rome anymore, and so I'm not saying this is the way it is, I am definitely not saying this is the way it should be. I'm telling you the way it was. So hold your stones and don't throw them too quick. Here's the deal about women. They were not credible eyewitnesses. If there was an event that took place where somebody got mugged and there were only four people that saw the mugging, the guy that got mugged and three women... It would still be a he said, he said in a court of law because they're not going to allow these three women who were eyewitnesses, saw the whole thing, they're not going to allow them to come into a court of law and give testimony to this because they're just not credible back then. Let's just make that clear, okay? Now, here's what I want you to do because if you're going to make something up, you're not going to throw women in as the credible witness. You're going to go like, we're going to make something, we're going to put somebody in there. If we're making stuff up to dupe people into believing this thing about Jesus, we've got to get some really credible people to be the ones that give the eyewitness account. You wouldn't put women in there. But because the Bible is truthful in all things, they told the truth here. Matter of fact, Luke's writing about the resurrection. He says this, It was Mary Magdalene, notice the names, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and others with them who told about the resurrection to the apostles, but they, the men, the apostles, did not believe the women because their words seemed to, to the men like nonsense. Can you believe there was a time when men were slow to take women so seriously? Here's what the women said. They came in and they told all the disciples. They go like, we, we saw an angel. And the guy's going, uh-huh. And, and the angel told us this, this great news. Oh, yeah, what's that? That Jesus is risen from the dead. He's not in the grave anymore. Oh, okay, fake news, everybody, fake news. 
It's happening. It's just fake news. And, and, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows himself to the disciples, and they're going like, oh, the, um, that was really stupid. We should have believed the women, right? Jesus and Jesus are going, uh-huh. They had it. And so, you know, they don't, they're not going to put these people into the list. The only reason women are listed as eyewitnesses in that, that account, in fact, is that they were the first eyewitnesses. The Bible's not going to lie about it. Nobody could have made that up. And so the writers are taking this historical perspective on the res- res- resurrection very seriously. And, and why is that? Because the next truth is really unbelievable. Next one is the resurrection changed everything. Okay? So it went from being um, a bad, really bad day, dream kind of thing going on, and all of a sudden things are changing. And, and, and so here's, here's what happened. We have this man who lived and walked among us, and he died, and then he was raised again. And that's the wow moment of our lives. And, and, and we have wow moments. Here's the difference between the wow moment of the resurrection and the greatest wow moment of your life. Here's the difference. Your wow moment may change things for a day or two. The wow moment of Jesus changed history forever. That's the big one. That's the whole difference that we've got going on here. And and I don't know if you remember the first time you got a paycheck. I kind of remember that because it was, you know, I was, I mean, getting a real paycheck where I actually had a real job uh, and and they're taking taxes out and all the rest of that. And I got my first paycheck and I went, wow, they took a lot of my money. (laughs) I was devastated by that. But then I came to realize that that's the way it works. And so what's, what's going on is you have this amazing thing that happened with this movement for three years. Jesus started this movement, and then on Palm Sunday, it went to Good Friday, and from Good Friday, now it's come to re- the resurrection. But here's the thing. Whatever happened between Good Friday and Sunday morning to this movement, this thing that Jesus was doing, being this teacher, and I, and I don't think we really have a good understanding that on Saturday, there was nothing left of the movement that Jesus started. Nothing. It was done. It was gone. All the disciples had split. They'd all run away. All their hopes were dashed on the hill called Golgotha. Everything was just disbanded. There was nothing left. But then on Sunday, bam, Christianity was born out of the tomb. That's the most amazing thing. And a lot of people don't understand this. It's quite unique, this Christian faith we have, this faith in Jesus. It's quite unique among all faiths in this way. It's the only faith that did not develop gradually over time. One day it did not exist, and then the next day it did exist. And people were ready to die for it right then. And as a matter of fact, historically, they did die for this this thing that Jesus created. And and Jesus is so matter-of-fact about the resurrection. And and it's this resurrection that has given birth to the church for the last 2,000-plus years. So, in in Matthew's gospel account, here's what Matthew recorded about the resurrection. 
So they departed quickly from the tomb. This is after they'd been told that Jesus was raised to life. And so they were de uh, departed quickly from the tomb with tears and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them saying, Greetings. He's just so kind of matter of fact about it. It's kind of like, greetings and salutations, women. He's just like, you know, here I am. What did you think was going to happen? I told you this was going to happen. And so Jesus isn't like going like, look at me, I'm alive. He's like, here I am. Here's the greetings. And, and I love Jesus doing this. You know, he's just kind of doing what Jesus always did. And then they came up and took hold of his feet. Notice the next words. And worshipped him. Did you get that? Yesterday, he was a crucified criminal. A failed Messiah. Today, he's the Lord of the universe. And they worshipped him as we should do. It, it, this, is, this is who Jesus is. Because he has, I mean, there's all kinds of things that have come into this world and have failed civilizations, governments, all these different things, people with great ideas, all kinds of things have come and they have failed. But when Jesus came, he changed everything. That power that resurrected Jesus can be at work in your life today as well. The same power that called Jesus out of the grave is the same power that God has placed in your life if you are a follower of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, that was weak. Try it again. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that leads us to the third point. And the third point is simply this, that it was deeply personal. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is deeply personal to every one of us. What's going to go on in your life? We all face this wonder of being born and then of having our lives come to an end. Biblical writers talk a lot about this. This is from the New Testament, the letter to the Hebrews. It says, and just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so also Christ offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation, that is deliverance, healing, forgiveness, to all who are eagerly awaiting him. Here's the big question. Are you waiting for him? That's the biggest wow of your experiences when you come to faith. The most amazing moment in your life, though, the no most amazing moment in your life has not occurred yet. Because there's going to be this moment when you die, when you close your eyes, take your last breath on this earth, and then you're going to open your eyes and you are going to be in the presence of Jesus right then. And he's going to look at you and he's going to say, enter into the joy of the Lord, good and faithful servant. And you're going to go like, wow! That's the thing that we have. It's all going on for us. And that's what Easter is really about. Because this thing, this event is going to come to everybody's life. Everybody is going to one day die. And, and the problem that's on our planet is, is there's always someone coming and someone going. 
we always have new births happening, and we always have somebody dying. And this is just the rotation and the things that happen in life. This is the way that God created it for it to happen. And this moment will come to your life when your life will be over. And then something amazing will happen. Either you will see God, wow, and imagine that moment. That will be your moment, your greatest moment. Or the Bible says you will face an eternity without God, and that's going to be like, whoa. God doesn't want anybody to face that. He actually says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my grace, I'm going to give you my love, I'm going to give you my forgiveness. For whatever you've messed up in this world, it's a free gift that I'm going to give to you that you get to incorporate into your life, and it will change everything. And then when you die, you really don't die, you live, because you get to spend eternity with me. Now, Because of this wow factor of the empty tomb, there's another word that's attached to Easter that is so meaningful and powerful for all of us. That word is the word hope. Because of the empty tomb up here, this is empty. We now have hope. And that's the hope for us. We all have that hope. If we have Christ Jesus in our lives, that is the hope that we have for our life. You know, at Easter time, and right now with the spring weather we have, the rain coming, and it's like the water is seeping into the ground and it's bringing life back up from the earth. And there's going to be all these little things that are going to take place. This is a little strange thing that happens here when Jesus comes along and gives us hope. Because here's what Jesus said in in John chapter 12. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls in the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, this is a really strange and kind of even a, a, a haunting thing that Jesus is telling us about what's going to happen. Because we have this... I'll do it right here. We have this earth right here, and and then God says that a seed has to die. So that seed goes into the ground right here, and this is the ground, and somebody takes and puts a shovel full of dirt over this seed. And then what happens is this seed, for some unknown reason, there's this miracle that takes place because there's something way up above that is calling out to this seed and telling that seed to come up and come alive. And so the the craziest thing happened is all of a sudden this little shoot comes up out of the ground and it starts to produce something and you have these little strands of wheat and what was once one little strand, one little seed that was all by itself, it fell into the ground and it felt like it was dying because all the dirt was over it. And this little seed, if you imagine this little seed, this little seed is going like all of a sudden everything's dark. All of a sudden, everything's cold. All of a sudden, I can't breathe. All of a sudden, there's no light. All of a sudden, I feel like this is the end. It's finally come, and I'm dead, and I'm buried. But the reality is, is that you're, you're, you're not buried. You're planted. That little seed was planted. And what that little seed does now is that little seed, what Jesus says, is it shoots down these little roots into the ground to pull up all the nutrients and out of the soil and everything so that it can grow. And then there's this little thing that happens over here where these raindrops come falling down and water the ground and that thing takes off and it grows. It's this 
in, in Jesus' words, he says, the seed has to die before it can become alive. And that's what Jesus was doing. When he went to, to, the, to the tomb, we think that Jesus was buried. Jesus wasn't buried. He was planted. Get a new perspective on life, would you? Because right now, some of you are thinking in your life, you think, you know what? I'm dead. I feel like life can be that way. When you're planted, it feels like being buried. It feels exactly the same way. Because all of a sudden, it seems like all hope is gone. It seems like everything that you've ever dreamed for has been erased from your life. You feel this darkness coming over you, and you feel like it's just time to give up because nothing good is going to happen. And then, just like what happened with the seed, and just like what happened with Jesus when he was in the tomb, something miraculous happened to Jesus because there was this voice way out there that called Jesus from being dead to being alive. And guess what happened when Jesus came alive? He produced fruit. You know what that fruit's called? The church. You are the first fruit of Jesus. Oh yeah, here we go again. Weak. Try it again. All right. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to get you there some way or another. All right? So, here's what the cross did. All right? So, when Jesus decided he would go to the cross and die, the powers that may be at that time said, we're going to fix this guy once and for all. We're going to nail him to the cross. He's going to die. We're going to throw him in that tomb. We're going to put guards on it, and that's going to be the end of that. We'll never have to deal with this guy again, ever again. But Jesus decided he would use the cross. And out of the cross came the power of forgiveness, and it, and it, it triumphs over hate and wickedness. And Jesus decided he would use the cross to show people the power of life over death. Jesus decided that he would use the cross to show people the enduring, irresistible strength of sacrificial human love. That's what Jesus said when he went to the cross. He suffered hate without hating back. He was mocked, but he did not mock in return. He embraced the untouchable nobody else would touch. He spoke courageous truth to power and made the powers that be really mad, and they couldn't stand it, and so they hung him on the cross to kill him. And then on the third day, something way up above said to something way deep down, rise up, and he rose up. And it's, it turns out that Jesus was not buried in the tomb. He was only planted. And here's what the Proverbs talk to us about hope, because when Jesus was raised out of there, like this dead sea brought, brought life, it brought hope. Any wheat farmer that I know after he plants his crop, the thing he hopes for is when he walks out and he looks at his field, instead of seeing brown, black dirt out there, all of a sudden he starts to see these green little shoots. That's what his hope is in, is that that wheat is going to produce. But the hope we have in Jesus is far beyond that. Because what we do a lot of times in our world is we live in an, in, in an, at an intersection in our lives. That intersection is the intersection of hope and of despair. Because that's where we end up hanging out. Because we don't live in hope all the time because we forget about it all the time. And so we live in this, this world of, of where hope seems to be taking over and then all of a sudden despair sweeps in 
and, and it wipes out everything and we feel a little bit hopeless in the whole process of the whole thing because we forget to train our minds to think about the greatest event that's ever happened right here is the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus came in and he did what nobody else could ever do. And, and God told us this. Jesus even told us this. You know, the most, one of the most famous verses that you ever see or you ever hear is what? There it is, John 3, 16, that God loved the world that he sent his son, and that son was going to die, and that he was going to bring life to anybody who would put their faith in him. But my favorite verse is John 3, 17. And here's what it says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see that? We, we think of God as a condemning God, that all God wants to do is just bash people for their sin, for being irreverent, for not loving God. I'll get it there somehow. I told you, I was going to get you there. But there's only one way to life with God. And it's counterintuitive to the way we live our lives. Do you know what you have to do to go to heaven? You have to die. The way to life is through death. I die to my ego, I die to my sin, I die to my, my demand to have my own way, I die to my will, I surrender to God and I say, God, your will be done in my life, your kingdom in my life, your will in my life, on earth as it is in heaven. I put my life in God's hands so I can be born to a greater life to a greater self, to a nobler self through Jesus. I've been crucified with Christ. It's not in the cross of Jesus. It's in the resurrection of Jesus. Let me, let me get, if, it's time to wake up. If you've been taking a nap, wake up and listen. If there's only one thing you're going to take away from here today, this is what I want you to take away. That the cross of Jesus shows you the price of sin. And the resurrection shows your bill has been paid in full. So where's it at with you? Do you have hope because of the resurrection? Are you absolutely convinced that the resurrection of Jesus really happened? If so, live your life as though Jesus was raised from the dead and gave you new life and has given you hope. Has the resurrection changed everything for you? Has it become deeply personal in your life? Does it give you hope? And right now, there are some of you, I know in this room, you feel like you are buried under the weight of whatever it is. It could be work, it could be relationships, it could be finances, it could be a, a, a plethora of in, a, a lot of different things. But right now, you feel like you're buried, but what God's telling you is that he's planted because right when it seems like things are absolutely at their darkest moment, that's when God shows up and he does the most miraculous thing and he takes what you think has been buried and he brings it to life and produces fruit and a harvest in your life. Amen? Fred said earlier, the reason we come here, and we're going to move to the table now. So those who are helping to serve communion, if you'd make your way to the front.